Well, welcome to this podcast today. Um, especially want to welcome all the First Family Flock. Um, you know, we release podcasts off and on, nothing regular. But on this edition, uh, I'm especially excited to help our church regather on May 24th with a higher level of confidence. And here's how I want to do that. I'm um, really humbled today to be joined by two professionals. One is a medical professional. And the other is a statistician who works with medical stats. So that's about all I know of what they do. So why don't I do this? Aaron Z and Lisa Nair, they're joining me today, both uh, faithful, longtime first familyers. Why don't you all tell us kind of what you do in those respective realms so our church can kind of gather, you know, some sense of like, okay, so that's why they're on this and establish some credibility. So Aaron, I'll start with you. I am a family nurse practitioner. I work here in Ankeny. I see everything from birth to death, um, dealing in healthy and dealing in sickness and helping mostly to keep people healthy. Lisa, tell us a little about what you do with stats and the medical field. So yeah, I, I'm a statistician. I work in uh, medical statistics. The company I work for is contracted by the federal government to work with healthcare providers in four states to improve quality of care. Many of my coworkers work directly with healthcare providers, but my work is mostly behind the scenes. Um, I'm at my computer analyzing data, um, looking for um, areas of opportunity to improve care, and then um, looking to see, you know, once our projects are complete or at least moving along, looking to see that the work we're doing is actually improving care. And I'm so glad you ladies joined us because I think it's interesting that in this pandemic, at least from my perspective as a citizen, two things have been very center stage. One is the medical aspect about the actual coronavirus, and the other is all the stats we continually see and trying to figure out how to read them. They seem really different. And so just knowing of you uh, ladies' expertise, I thought it'd be a great way for our church to hear from two respected people in these fields to help us navigate our return on May 24th. Help me on this podcast, give our church increased confidence to that end, all right? So um, I don't want to assume anything. So let me just start. Aaron, I'll ask you this question. Can you just medically explain what is the coronavirus from a medical point of view? So the coronavirus is a family of viruses. Um, there's all kinds of different viruses out there. You, we can think of the common cold. We always get another cold, but it's not always the same cold. Um, coronavirus is also a family of viruses. It is found to cause disease in mammals, which are humans, um, but also mammal animals um, and birds. Um, in humans, it causes respiratory infections and symptoms. Examples of viruses in this family are the ones that have hit the news, like SARS, MERS, and then, of course, COVID-19 um, for it, of which COVID-19 is actually a type of SARS virus, and it's actually known medically as SARS-CoV-2. So that's probably the basic, simple definition of a coronavirus. So, Lisa, let me ask you this. We've all been watching stats for weeks now. Uh, I personally am really intrigued by the regular press conferences, whether it's our state or our nation, because I, I just, uh, I like watching stats. And yet, to be honest with you, I don't know what to make of them. I feel like people can use them to prove their point, and they can be opposite points sometimes. So how do you think we should read the stats about the virus? Give us a way that the average person like me 
could read them and know actually what's happening. Well, I th you're, you're exactly right. You know, people can use, um, focus in on one individual statistic and, and make it sound, um, make it sound terrible or make it sound like things are getting better when they may not be. So I think the key thing is just being cautious when we're looking at the numbers. We don't want to draw conclusions based on limited data. Taking a look at all of the available data to try and see what the big picture is, is more of a better route to take. So Iowa was one of the later states that started having the increase in cases. So we started looking at data from other countries. We started looking at data from other states. A lot of times that will cause us to start making comparisons, um, but there's a lot of factors that affect the numbers. So things such as population density, testing criteria, the number of tests available, um, reporting methods, the capacity of the healthcare systems, and then even the social distancing recommendations, those all can have a really big impact on the actual transmission of the virus. So we have to be careful about making those comparisons. And then those same factors that are, are also changing regularly. So we're seeing the number of tests even within Iowa changing. Um, more tests were being done in the last couple of weeks. I think we were up to 17,000 the last I heard. And those factors are being used to make prediction models, which tell us where the virus might be headed. But if those factors are changing, then that means those prediction models are going to have a higher degree of uncertainty as well. So we don't know for sure. Um, you know, people are trying to make those models um, and predict where it's going, but um, we just need to be careful about drawing certain you know being certain about that and drawing conclusions based on all the uncertainty you said all available data mm -hmm. what categories would that be when you say all available data are there certain things you're looking for then um well i've i've been looking a lot at just the number of cases um in iowa but that doesn't tell the whole picture so for example we've seen um, the number of uh, positive cases in Iowa has risen dramatically in the last couple of weeks. Um, I think the numbers were over 700 a day towards the end of last week. But you, you need to also look at, okay, how many tests were um, being conducted at that time. And that's a big reason for the number of um, cases having a big increase. We know that the social distancing recommendations, and we're all looking forward to those being relaxed um, in, in a couple of weeks, and um, that could also change the virus dramatically as well. We don't know what's gonna happen when we all start moving around, and um, you know, there, there could be um, a possibility for increased spread of the virus with that as well. In your opinion, when you look at the available data or you look at the medical people you've seen, is Iowa doing pretty good from a statistical point of view or from a medical point of view? How would you guys say, hey, you know, I was not doing that bad in comparison. Maybe we shouldn't compare. I'm just kind of curious what you think about our current situation in Iowa. I think it's really hard to say. You know, Iowa is was a little bit behind um, some of the other states. So I, I feel like we're we're still ramping up the capacity of the testing. So it's a little bit hard to say at this point. I think um, we may see that level out in the next couple of weeks. It's hard to say with certainty. 
Aaron, what do you think medically? I think we got an advantage a little bit in the fact that other states were starting into this. As for benefit, I think I'm with Lisa. You know, it's going to be determined in the next few weeks. So, like I said, let's focus a little bit on helping our people gather, or I should say regather on the 24th with a higher level of confidence. So many leaders have been saying that they're using the data. I think you've seen governors say that, different tasks force people. Um, is this the same data that the church leaders should look to as they prepare to reopen their churches? I'll start with you, Lisa. Yeah, I think those are all factors that we need to um, consider when we're moving forward. So um, are we still seeing a spike in the number of cases, um, even with the um, increased testing or with the increased testing, are the numbers starting to go down? And also that, you know, we're not overwhelming our healthcare system and that the healthcare system could still handle additional cases if they go up again when we start gathering again. Erin, any word on the healthcare system capacity from your angle? There is an increase in numbers um, with it, but I've not been made aware of any kind of, I mean, there's strain on the system, but there's not a limitation in beds, ventilators at this time. So at least at this point in time, what we're doing with social distancing numbers, things are keeping the numbers below what becomes critical to the hospitals and to the healthcare system. What other things would you recommend that a church like ours do to allay some fears of people? Like we're going to assure them we'll have distance, we'll assure them of cleanliness and sanitizing that's going on con consistently. Uh, what things are we missing that you would say, hey, this is a, a really good idea to help build confidence in regathering? The communication is key, maybe, in the fear um, aspect of things. Um, you know, first family sharing what they're doing um, to, or sharing the specifics of the precautions that we're taking um, is a big deal. Just people being knowledgeable about what's going on can help reduce those fears. Um, I think in addition to that, just remember that, you know, the predictions that we're seeing from the government and the healthcare officials are just that, they're predictions. We don't know for sure what's gonna happen. Um, we know this is a, there can be a very, um, a difficult virus with the complications and things. Although sometimes the media can sensationalize the data that's being reported, um, combined with our own desire of wanting to know what's going to happen can cause controversy and being overly fearful of, of things. So we need to guard against that as well. I would agree with Lisa, just knowing what steps the church is taking, and then also just taking a personal responsibility washing your hands, not touching your face, not touching your eyes, considering your risks as a person as to whether it's a wise decision for you and your family and the people you're interacting with. You know, if you are the caretaker for an elderly person, is that, you know, something that you are okay with? And those are personal choices and questions that have to be answered. So ladies, I want to ask you three or four questions and I just want you to give me a yes or no. 
Okay, so I'll go ahead and qualify this. This is your opinion, all right? But you are in the two fields that I think are pretty important in this time. And these relate to things that we should maybe or shouldn't do when we return to our church. So I'm just going to ask you what you think personally. Uh, I think your answers could help increase confidence. So I'll start with this. Should we require people to wear masks? I think no. It's what's being promoted, but there isn't necessarily the data behind it to say that it definitively prevents the spread. Would you make masks available? I would say yes. You know, if there's a chance it will help and perhaps um, allow someone to attend without being fearful, that would be helpful. My only concern is for the limitations we have in masks and PPE for the medical people is where my concern is because that still is a real concern in some decisions that are being made. Okay. Would you implement children's ministries? I, I honestly have struggled with this one myself. Um, you know, my kids are not, they don't understand the virus. They don't understand the need for the precautions. Opinion myself with older kids, I think I would probably keep them with me in the service just for increased, you know, eyes on them and safety precautions. And maybe I could even qualify that preschool and below would you say implement that in time or say no the days of that are done i don't think the days of it are done forever i just don't know if the days of it are now the hard part with children are and love them to death but they are germ little magnets (laughs) (laughs) and there is nothing we can do about that one no matter how hard any of us try they are just great vectors for moving any kind of virus infection anything for it and so that's the hard part of it they can be carriers they can get it Um, they just aren't more they aren't as likely to have the complications that we hear on the news with children there will always be an outlying case of a child who gets it and needs ventilators and all that but statistically they're not the age group they're not the group that has issues with this disease. So the risk in having some children, let's say in a area, even if you divide it up, you know, in groups of 10, having them there with the adults, maybe the greater risks may be to the adult then. Is that fair to say? Maybe to the adult or it may be to them going home and spreading it to grandparents and elderly. Would you eliminate shaking hands at church? Like as an official greeting time, I would I would say you know, cut that out, which we've kind of already um, have done um, in recent months anyway. But the the social interaction, I think it would be up to those that are involved in the interaction. Okay. Aaron? I agree with Lisa that I think it's up to the individual has how they interact. A formal handshaking, no. At this point in time, I don't think that we should do that. I think we can encourage wise contact with other people, but I don't know that we're going to limit people from doing it. Would it be wise for us to discourage casual handshaking before and after services? Like in in a communication or in a, on our website, just saying, Hey, you know, when you're coming and going, just be aware that for a few months, we'd like to discourage you from shaking hands. Would that be a wise move? I think so. I think encouraging people to, you know, stay further apart when they're, um, talking as well would be would be helpful maybe not 
as a rule, but more mm -hmm. as of an encouragement. And, you know, I think for me, it would be hard to, you know, not stand close to a person that I'm talking to, but, you know, as with that as a recommendation and knowing the um, reason for the precautions that would be easier for me to do it when it's talked about corporately. You think it'd be wise to discourage that, Aaron? I think it would be wise to discourage it for a time. And I okay. think some of it will be answered. I think society is going to change in how we greet people because we've become aware of disease and transmission processes. I don't know how that's going to end up, but I think just naturally it's going to change. Mm -hmm. Would it be wise, but also weird if we took temperatures as you enter the building? I know a lot of places, I mean, you go to the doctor, we're taking your temperature when you enter the door. The airports are doing it. I know places are. Weird, yeah, it's a little bit weird. <laughs> I agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think that would raise confidence in people or not? It beckons the call, what, do you, what number are you gonna say, I'm sorry, you can't come in the door. Okay, you're right. Lisa, <laughs> any comments on that? I, I would agree with the weird. Um, <laughs> I guess I don't really have an opinion on that one. So okay. I haven't been out of the house very much in the last month and a half. So I don't know. <laughs> I haven't seen it happening places either. So, so one more. Um, is singing going to be especially dangerous? I do not know the, for lack of better, spray distance. <laughs> That's what I was wondering. Yeah. <laughs> With singing, I know running, they're talking that it's 15 um, feet. Um, with it is the spray distance with running. I don't know what the distance is with singing. Interesting. interesting. I haven't thought about that, I guess. <laughs> I mean, it would make sense that running would be a longer distance because there's air movement as well. But with singing, you're just standing still. So I, I guess I would maybe assume that it would be less, but I don't know. Another question, would you serve food at church? Like, let's say in the cafe, would you make coffee available? Would there be snacks or would you not? No, I don't think I would. No. Okay. Here's another one for you. Um, would you require social distancing in children's ministries? Good luck. <laughs> yeah good luck is a okay. good answer <laughs> so um let's think about the two ordinances we're commanded to uh, remember baptism and communion is one of those more i use the word dangerous again is one of those more dangerous in a larger crowd than the other during this pandemic i think communion would be more dangerous um just because well, dangerous riskier um, maybe is a better word. Um, just because we're all, you know, there's multiple people coming to the table and touching the elements. I think that would definitely be riskier. Baptism, maybe not as much because um, there's fewer people involved in the actual, um, in the baptism. I agree communion because of how close you get in proximity and everything with it. The hard part with baptism is because the water of baptism gets into the nose and gets out, and that's where this virus is. I'm not going to be the third person in. That's very uh, helpful. That's a good, yeah. So if we were to commit to 
baptizing one person uh, before we just one person a week and we'll refill it. That would be appropriate measures to take to instill confidence, wouldn't it? Yeah. Refill it and clean it. Yeah. Okay. I was going to ask you how water applied, but you answered the question already. That's really helpful. So let me ask you one last question. Just if both of you are talking to your church right now, what would you say in one to two minutes from your respective expertise to help them return with as much confidence as possible? Maybe anything you've not said yet that you think would really help. And I'm not necessarily picking a certain age group at all, just the general first family sheep. Take a minute or two and help me help them rest a little more confident that they can return at the right time. I think I would expect that as businesses start to reopen, um, and we're seeing that already in some parts of the state, that the numbers will start to rise again just with people moving about more. Um, so I would say don't be afraid of that, but just be cautious of that um, as you watch the numbers um, and know that that may be why that's happening. Those of us without certain high-risk factors um, or high-risk medical conditions or the elderly can feel confident in returning to public gatherings, but again, being cautious um, to implement or adhere to the social distancing or other precautions that are being recommended. I would feel more confident, I think, if, I, if we started to see the number of new cases declining, even with the um, number of tests remaining high, um, that would signify to me that the virus is starting to slow and potentially that enough people have been exposed to it that the herd immunity um, would start to kick in. Um, so that would give me more confidence in returning to a more normal lifestyle, including public gatherings. But I would also say, you know, if you're concerned about yourself or a close family member in a high-risk category, it's okay to continue avoiding large crowds. And I think um, first family leadership, um, small groups, and the church body as a whole, I think we're all aware of that and very understanding and willing to help people in those categories and that that we're aware and allowing people to continue to participate virtually as well. Amen on that. Erin. I would agree with a lot of what Lisa has said. Most of us who are gonna get COVID are gonna do just fine. Um, we see a lot on the news about the worst case scenarios, but a majority of us are going to be just fine. We're gonna do okay. It may not be fun, but we're gonna be all right with it, but we need to consider our own risks and the risks of the people around us that we are responsible for and take care of and interact with as we look at rejoining society and large groups for it um, in order to protect those people and help take care of them with it. Um, I think some of this comes back to also is with lots of decisions that we make is it's our personal decision that we make and that we need to ask for wisdom and guidance on how to do that in the fact of the statistics and the numbers and everything that we see and that it does call into where do we put our trust and to not be led by fear in those personal decisions we have to make and to have grace with other people as they make those decisions because they're going to change. One week they might be okay with it and one week they won't be okay with it and that's okay. 
for it because it's going to take us all some time to adjust to this new normal with it. The other thing I guess I would just remind the church is there's a lot of hurting people out there. This has been tough on a lot of people who already were hurting and are now even hurting more and have felt much more isolated and by themselves and um, rejected in some realms with it, with the, just the circumstances that have happened with jobs and different things. And that we just need to be sensitive to that and being sensitive to um, reaching out to those people um, and taking that step that we talk about a lot of times with reaching people and just to be more mindful of that um, with it because we have great opportunity for those because we have not just the hurting people that are sick, we have the hurting people that are hiding and to remember that. You know, Aaron, I was thinking about what you said uh, you know, Romans 14 says to welcome one another as Christ welcomed us. And that verse is impactful to me in the last few days because it does speak, is in a context of differing opinions within the church there at Rome. Mm -hmm. And you're right. We've got an opportunity now for the church to to exhibit like, hey, we have some different opinions and we all come back together. Um, some will wear masks, some won't. Some will think you should, you shouldn't. Some will think we're sitting too close. I mean, but yeah, there's no verse about any of this. We've got freedom to have different opinions, and we're going to need to welcome each other with grace, just as Christ welcomes us, you know? So I would have never thought a pandemic would bring this verse into focus, but yet here we are as a church getting to practice that very verse, because mm -hmm. more than most times, we are going to see a regathering of people with a thousand different opinions about this one thing. Yeah. And no one's necessarily right or wrong, really. That is definitely truth. I think the other one that I always, I've been thinking about today is just in Hebrews, how it says, do not stop meeting together. Like some are in the practice of doing is we're also called to be together. We are social people. God has made us to love human connection and to want to be connected. And so one, at some point in time, we have to figure out what our, decision is on how we re-engage in church but two is is also engaging our neighbors and engaging people yeah and thank you ladies for being committed to that verse i think that's why you've joined the podcast like i want to help our church leaders instill some kind of greater confidence that we can obey this verse we don't have to quit or be unnecessarily afraid you know i was thinking about the other verse where i said where paul said to greet each other with a holy kiss like I mean, that's closeness, isn't it? You think about that. And here we are. We're be mandated to be six feet apart to some degree. And I was like, man, we were made to be closer than six feet. I mean, in the in the right appropriate ways, Christian community means you're kind of eyeball to eyeball. You're face to face. You're so. I hope that this is just a temporary thing because it's hard to imagine living life at an arm's length from everybody. That's just not how we're made, especially in God's family. So I don't know how or when, but you're right. We have to figure out how to engage in Christian community without fear and yet with cautious, um, cautiousness. So I hope that your insight from a statistical point of view and a medical point of view has been helpful to our people. Um, yeah, I'm thankful for you both, your families, and thanks for caring for our church and bringing your gifts to bear upon our mission.